Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast and it is presented by league apps as always excited about this week's show we kick off the show with hall of fame broadcaster jp della camera who is headed over to new zealand and australia to call his 17th world cup He's done 10 men's World Cups, and this will be his seventh women's World Cup. This past January, he was recognized by the United Soccer Coaches with the Clay Berlin Excellence in Media Award. J.P. Della Camera kicks off the show. After J.P., we hit college soccer with the head men's soccer coach at Dartmouth University. I think everybody always thought his name was Bo Oshoni, but he set me straight right away. How do you say it, Bo? My full pronunciation is Ade Boyega Oshoni. Love my visit with Bo, just a phenomenal human being. Courtesy of United Soccer Coaches Lee Gerald, we hit the high school soccer scene with a visit with Stan Williams. He is the girls' head soccer coach at Champlain Valley United CVU in Vermont. And that program has won more girls' state championships than any girls' program in the country. They have 20. Stan has won seven in 10 years as the head coach. He lost in two championship games, and the other year they lost in PKs in the semis. That's legit. Really enjoyed my visit with Stan Williams, and I want to thank Lee Gerald for bringing Stan my way. We end the show meeting another member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class, Northwestern Women's Soccer Assistant Coach Morgan Rule. As you know, I call a lot of Northwestern Women's Soccer on the Big Ten Network and really enjoyed spending time with Morgan. So that's our show, and we get it started after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with one of the true legends of the game, longtime soccer broadcaster, J.P. Della Camera, who's getting set for his 17th World Cup, 10 men's World Cups, and now the seventh World Cup over in New Zealand and Australia. He recently won with the United Soccer Coaches the Clay Burling Media Excellence Award. It was great to be on the stage when he accepted that, and it's always great to see J.P. Della Camera, somebody that I've known since the late 80s, early 90s, and we welcome in J.P. Della Camera to kick off this week's show. Welcome, J.P. Dean, thanks for having me. We do go way back to years when you were a press officer for U.S. soccer. A lot of people probably don't even know that about you. 
Well, it's because you always give Aaron Hype its top billing, so that's why. I'm sorry about that, but he's still there, so <laughs> he survived. He did, but yeah, I, I went on to do stuff that, like you, that I love doing. I love calling yeah. games myself, you know, particularly the college game, which, you know, was interesting, too. I was talking to my wife about it, how I was going to interview you, and she did say, you know, really, the college game is a lot different than the World Cup. I mean, totally different, right? I mean, you're stuck in at the highest level, and yet I found a, a niche at the college game, JP, and I kind of like it. Well, the college game, especially on the women's side, has produced so many great pros for our U.S. national team. It hasn't done the same on the men's side because on the men's side, as you know, they're going more with academies rather than college kids. So I think that's had an effect. I think the women have made a much easier transition going from our good college programs to the NWSL and to our national team. And that's been happening now for years. So I think the college game has been great, more so for the women's game than it has been for the men. 17 World Cups, a ton of big-time games as well. I mean, for me, JP, when I think of you, I think of the Paul Caligiuri goal, and I think of the 99 team. Then I just think of your longevity and durability and just your great call, always staying right inside your box, doing things the right way. When I mention 89 and 99, are they in your top five? Uh, they're my top two. And I think I've said this before when I when I've spoken at various places that it's hard to pick one. It's like if you have two children, you wouldn't say this one's my favorite, you know? So it's like it's like picking between two family members. You wouldn't do that. I think the the Caligiuri goal, amazing. We say sometimes, you know, the the Chastain game or the Chastain goal, but that kind of minimizes, you know, that whole day at the Rose Bowl and what it meant for the history of U.S. soccer, U.S. women, the women's game, women's sports, you know, all of that. They were just iconic moments. And the U.S. until 2018 had made every World Cup since then. I mean, that's what the Caligiuri goal meant. You know, it gave momentum. It brought in sponsors, big money, uh, corporations, Major League Soccer started. So those were two goals that, if we're still talking about it today, you know, have really transcended time. Those those are the two. I'm not sure how I would round out a top five, but those are definitely the top two. It's interesting you say, you know, you, it's hard to pick your favorite because I'd love to know, like, can you pick your favorite analysts over the years? You, you've had so many. Are there some that kind of rise up to the top with, you know, no indifference to some other ones, but can you pick a, your favorite analysts? If I, if I did, I would lose a lot of friends. Um, no. <laughs> Because I've been lucky, Dean. I mean, I've worked with so many. And if I if I started to name them, I will forget people. You know, some I've worked with only a few games. Some I worked with for years. Uh, the most games I worked with anyone was Tommy Smith, who I did like over 200 events a year with back at ESPN International in those days. I think the thing I like about all the analysts, Tommy included, is that they start off as a broadcast colleague and then they've all become friends. So I think that's the best part of it. I like to say I've never worked with a bad bad analyst, and I believe that that is true. And, and if I were to say that, then I think that's a reflection on me that I didn't bring out the best in them, right? But I've worked with so many great people over the years who have become great friends now for decades. And I, I take that as one of the rewards of this business. Don't you feel like that's part of the fun of it, working with different people and helping them along the way? It is. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. I think that 
if you work with the same person all the time, you will get better. You should get better, right? And there'll be a chemistry. You look at some of the, the great broadcast teams in history in all different sports, right? And people always talk about Madden and Summerall back in the day, you know, and, and they worked together for so many years, you know, and now, you know, Buck and Aikman and um, you, you could name your own duos, right? But when you get to work with different people, it is more challenging, I would say, brings out, should bring out the best in them, should also bring out the best in you. And I always feel that a play-by-play -play person is the one that has to change, right? Because you're like the, you're like the orchestra leader of that, of that band. It's a small band, but you're like the orchestra leader. And it's not fair for, for me to tell an analyst, change this, change that to work with me. It's up to me to make that change because I'm the one that's supposed to be, you know, in the driver's seat, bringing out the best in them. So that's the way I've always looked at it. You're a team, but I'll be the one that will adjust to them rather than them adjusting to me, even if it's their first game or if it's their hundredth game, doesn't matter. JP, you're in your early seventies. I see no stop sign because I think you love what you do and you're great at what you do. Have you set a timetable at all? No, not really, Dean, because when you, when you reach a certain age, whatever that is, and, and um, sorry that you mentioned the age, but that's okay. Because I feel like, I feel like right now better than I felt when I was like 40. You know, because I think I've taken better, better care of myself. I've been fortunate to be healthy. I think anybody could say they want to do this for as long as they can, right? But health is is the main thing, right? Um, where are you mentally? Where are you physically? Right now, I feel great. So, you know, I could do X number of years into the future, but nobody knows how somebody's going to feel tomorrow, three months from now, two years from now. So I don't have a timetable. The only thing I know is that I'm, I'm way closer to the end than to the beginning. But how can I put this? I think since 2000, 2006, I did a World Cup and a friend of mine saw me in, in the stadium, saw me at the end of the World Cup looking around. He says, what are, you, what are you looking at? And I said, I'm just taking it all in. I said, you never know when this is going to be it, when this is going to be your last World Cup. And he said to me, why would you say that? He said, you got plenty more to go. And I said, you don't know that. You know, we don't know who's going to own the rights. Do they want you to do it? Are there people that are coming along that are in a better position to get those jobs? Maybe you get tired of it. Maybe your health is not good. Like, you never know. So I think, and I would suggest this to you too, you know, in your broadcasting career, you know, soak it all in because you love what you do. But you never know when this is like your last game, your last tournament, your last championship, you know, whatever that is. So so soak it all in. But that's a long answer for you. I, I don't have something that's fixed in my mind about saying this is it. This is how far I want to go. Want to retire at this age or this is my last one. I, I don't have that. Well, not to sound like a sycophant, when you're as good as you are, JP, and like you said, you're feeling good, and it starts to feel like it's not really work, you know, then you might as well keep on doing it for sure. Since yeah. we were talking about the back end, how about the whole story, JP? Tell us where you grew up, where you went to college, when did you know you want to be a broadcaster? Decades ago, I either wanted to be a sports announcer or a disc jockey. I loved music. And, and back in those days, it was a, a Beatles were number one. It was a British invasion. All the bands were there. I loved music. I could name anybody in all those bands. I, I really liked it. But then I thought, you know, 
sportscaster has a much longer life. No one wants to listen to an 80-year-old disc jockey, you know, playing rock music. So I thought, you know, sports is the way to go. I grew up in the Boston area, went to a college that's no longer there, but it gave me a good background and a lot of experience because we did remote broadcasts. So we we broadcast a, a hockey team that was not very good. We had uh, basketball games that we did. Uh, we had our own television station there. So we did talk shows, brought in guests. Uh, it was a great experience, but I always wanted to be an NHL broadcaster growing up when the Boston Bruins had Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito, Jerry Cheevers, Derek Sanderson. I mean, that was the team. And I always wanted to be an NHL guy. And I, I spent probably 10 years of my life in minor league hockey um, trying to get there. NHL was smaller then. I didn't get an opportunity. I left, did indoor soccer. Indoor soccer led to outdoor soccer. And at the end of the day, though, I did get an NHL job when I wasn't looking for it. So that's my lesson to young broadcasters. You know, chase the dream. Uh, if it's not there right away, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And I had totally given up on doing uh, NHL for a team. And out of the blue, got a call from somebody that I knew that a job was open up in Atlanta. And then I spent five great years with the Atlanta Thrashers as their TV play-by-play -play person. Didn't have to give up the soccer. Was working with the Red Bulls at the time. And so that was the best of both worlds for me, doing the two sports that I that I love the most. But obviously, soccer is number one and always was going to be. And I think you snuck in a kid or two as well. You might even be a grandpa now. I'm not sure, JP. Get us up to date on that. I am, yeah. Two daughters living in St. Louis. My grandson just turned six on Saturday. My only regret is that I could only FaceTime him because I couldn't get there. I'm so busy with work right now and doing, uh, even before the Women's World Cup, doing Gold Cup games. And then I had an NWSL game on the weekend. So that's been the, the hard part. Would love to see him more. Uh, I do FaceTime him. We color together. I bought my own set of crayons so that we could do some stuff. And sometimes I do well and sometimes, you know, he thinks I could do better. And he's, right. <laughs> he's right. I'm I'm not good at coloring necessarily. All right. So you're going to do one of the semifinals, right, for the Gold Cup. Which one are you doing? It's coming up, right? I've got Mexico, Jamaica on Wednesday. Yeah. So I get to do Mexico for a second time. And then I get to see Andre Blake, who to me is like the best goalkeeper that's certainly in, in CONCACAF. For sure. And I, I worked with Andre for years when uh, we were doing, when I was doing Philadelphia Union games. Um, fantastic goalkeeper. Couldn't say enough about him. And again, last night, you know, he keeps them in. They advance very far, actually, in this tournament. That's that's a win-win for Jamaica. They're playing with house money, I would say, right now. Indeed. Andre Blake is great. JP, along the way, there have been some, for lack of a better word, scandalous stories um, you had the equal pay thing. I remember in the early 90s, the men were kind of fighting with U.S. soccer as well. And Hank Steinbrecher, one of my first bosses, had to step in. Of course, we're all living in this area where we just dealt with the Reina Burhalter deal. How do you as a broadcaster handle that? Do you leave it or do you bring it up at least to address it? Well, when you're on air, Dean, it's hard. Usually you rely on your bosses. So like in my case, Fox, you know, if I if I had any questions, I would say to them, you know, how should we treat this? You know, what do we do with this? And sometimes they'll say, you know, it's it's difficult in game, you know, leave that to studio, you know. So 
I mean, we can't do a game. If I was doing the U.S. men's game the first time that Greg Berhalter comes back, you know, how much do you talk on air as a play-by-play person about the Gio Reyna situation? You know, those are delicate things, I would say. Sadly, there have been some scandals. You mentioned a few. There's a few more that you haven't mentioned, but it's difficult, you know, in a play-by-play role. It's not like you don't want to address it or you'd rather not talk about it or you don't think it belongs. It's just, it's difficult, right? Because when people tune into a game, they want to see the game, right? I mean, if, if that's the story, you know, if if um, in Canada's first game of the Women's World Cup, um, you know, they're not happy with their federation. The federation said that they might declare bankruptcy. I mean, we've, we've seen that, we've read that. Um, I'm sure Studio will address that if that's still an issue when the Women's World Cup starts. You know, I don't think I address it if I was doing their games. Um, I don't think I would address it unless, you know, it looked like they were not playing hard, let's say. Or if if they're locking arms before the anthem or or taking a knee or doing anything, turning their back, whatever it is that they're doing, if I see that as a play-by-play person and I know what they're doing, then it is my obligation to say what it is. Otherwise, the viewer is sitting there thinking, you know, what's going on, right? So sometimes you do have to bring it up. It just depends on the situation. We're with JP Della Camera, and we're meant to talk about the Women's World Cup, which we're going to get to, which means this uh, interview is going to be a little longer than I promised, JP. I have one more question before we get to the Women's World Cup, and I made the reference at the United Soccer Coaches Honors Banquet, and that is like every lunar eclipse, every five years, you win another award for your greatness on the call. That's got to be pretty special, JP, all of the awards you've won over the years, I would think. It is. I don't have a a big office, Dean, but it's getting crowded because um, I do have some nice awards here, and I treasure them all. You know, it's not like I'm putting one in a closet somewhere or I don't want to look at them. You know, they're here. They're part of my memories. Um, Like I told you about working with great analysts who have become your friends, like these awards are like my friends because somebody thought I was worthy of them. So I I would never take any award lightly. I'll, I'll take them all. Happy to receive them, was happy to receive one uh, this winter in, in Philadelphia at the convention. And it's just, uh, just a nice touch. All right, let's push go on the Women's World Cup. Let's first start with, I think, what you're going to tell me, an honest answer. The further the USA goals, the more exciting it is for you, right? I mean, that's fair to say, right? 100%. The more exciting it is for me personally for our viewing audience, for Fox, who would make more money, obviously, uh, the deeper the U.S. goes. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's more interested in the U.S. going through. The biggest story is, you know, can they win it again? Because that's the biggest storyline there, right? Can they do something that no one has ever done in uh, women's or men's World Cup history? And that's win three straight. So that's really the number one story, I would say, going in one of many big stories going into this Women's World Cup. They have to get to the final though, right? Because if they don't, people will say it's disappointing, right? If they lost in the if they lost in the semifinals, that's one thing, you know, in a in a tough game, bad call, uh, the other team was better, you know. But what if they lost for argument's sake in the quarterfinals or in the round of 16, heaven forbid. But I mean if that happened, the world, the soccer world will come to an end, right? Because people will be so disappointed because 
you know, this team is loaded with talent. They do have injuries. But as you know, anything can happen in a World Cup. Defending World Cup champions have been bounced out on the group stage on the men's side, more so, I would say, than on the women's side. So um, they won't take anything for granted. They'll be well prepared for this and they should go deep. And I, I still think that they will win it. But I would not be surprised if one of, let's say, three other teams happen to win it because I think the rest of the world is catching up. Oh, indeed, the rest of the world is catching up. And I actually feel, JP, it's more of a tweener year because of the fact that you said the rest of the world's catching up because of some of those injuries. And there are key spots, right? The center back combination, you know, we saw Gurma, we saw Cook. We're not sure about Ertz. Rose Lavelle hasn't played in forever. I do love the young front runners up top and the fact that you can bring in Trinity Rodman and Lynn Williams off the bench to try to save a game is impressive. And maybe Megan Rapino has some late game magic as well, but it does feel like there's a little bit more for lack of a better word, uncertainty on yeah. whether this team is a lock. hundred percent. You just named a bunch of things that I've talked about in other interviews, right? The center back combination is, has to be the youngest that we've ever had. Uh, certainly at a women's world cup, right? When you lose Becky Sauerbrunn, the average age drops quite a bit, right? And Becky would have played a, a prominent role. I don't think she would have played seven games, uh, but she would have played five, six, maybe they watch her minutes, but uh, such a great leader. That's a big miss for this team. So you've got two center backs that are playing in their first World Cup that are both young, right? Uh, Julie Ertz, is she the Julie Ertz of old? She couldn't be, right? She missed two years, right? As great as she is. But is she close to that? And And if she's not close to that, can she get close to that? during this tournament, right? Assuming that the U.S. is going to play seven games. Lavelle hasn't played in months, right? Where where does she fit in? You know, is she able to last the whole tournament for that matter, right? I think Rapino does play a role, a uh, different role, certainly than at the last World Cup. I think we'll rely a lot, we as a country, on, on Alex Morgan. But the future are those offensive stars. Sophia Smith, I think, could become the face of this team at this World Cup, I think she's playing at a very high level. Her confidence is like it's off the charts. She's finishing in the NWSL. She's finished well with the national team as well. So I think this could be her big tournament. Trinity Rodman, Alyssa Thompson, I think they'll all, all play a role in this. Uh, but I do think, and I said this before they announced the roster, there were more questions going into this roster selection than any Women's World Cup that I can remember in recent World Cups, right? Before you could pretty much pick the team, but I think when you have injuries to Mal Swanson, Kat Macario, then Sauerbrunn, you know, O'Hara was coming off injuries, Lavelle. I mean, there are a lot of question marks and I, I'm sure Vladko Andonovsky, the head coach, had a lot of tough decisions to make and how, how this U.S. team plays, people won't talk about the decisions if they win it. If they don't win it, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some questions on some of the players that were chosen. I don't know Vlatko like I know Jill Ellis. Jill Ellis, of course, won the last two and now is doing a great job kind of spearheading the San Diego NWSL team and probably doesn't get enough credit for everything she's done, although she is in the Hall of Fame and well-deserved. I do have a question about Vlatko, and I wonder about his aversion or his ability to 
do some risk rewards. And I guess what I'm leaning to, if if Sanchez can't quite do what Rose Lavelle does and Rose Lavelle can't go, you still have this talented player in Crystal Dunn who has lit up the NWSL playing more as an attacking player. And I think you do have options at left back or right back where you could maybe move Crystal Dunn up, which is where she wants to be anyway. I don't get the feeling Blocko's even considering that, but if they do have trouble because of those reasons, what do you know about Blacko that makes you think he either will or will not do something like that? I think that Blacko has an open mind to a lot of things. I think he's, I, I think he sees Crystal Dunn as the best left back in the world. And I, I think she is, right? But I also know that she's a very talented midfielder and she's playing so well for her Portland team. I think that if, if they had a solid answer, left back and right back, Emily Fox goes to the left. If Kelly O'Hara was healthy, she plays on the right. Then I think he might think about that. But I, I'm not sure what his confidence level is. Uh, is Kelly O'Hara 100% fit? You know, where does Sofia Huerta fit in that situation? Would he play an Emily Sonnet and start her, you know, as a right back? I, I think before he moves done, I don't think he wants to do that. But I think before he moves done, he would have to be, 100% sure that his back line is secure and that he sees a struggle in midfield. I thought you were going to mention um, when you said Lavelle and if Sanchez couldn't go, Savannah DeMello, who for me, uh, such a dynamic player. And I, I do not have inside information, but I do believe in my mind and in my heart that Lavelle's injury situation was the real reason that DeMello's there. I think DeMello's having a sensational year, deserved a call-up, but she had no caps. She just got her first cap yesterday. Had no caps. And as you remember, Shannon Box, Debbie Keller before that, that's it, right? They don't, U.S. women's team and, and the men for that matter too, don't bring in players for a World Cup that were not capped. But DeMello is so dynamic, good passer, good dribbler, makes good runs, makes good decisions, can finish. And I don't think the big moments bother her. And so I, I think that Lavelle's situation helped her. That's what I believe. I, I'm not sure DeMello was on the team before as, as great as she was playing, only because of the history of U.S. soccer, both sides not using players or bringing in players that have not been capped. Excellent take. We're here with Hall of Fame broadcaster J.P. Della Camera kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. You've got Vietnam, you've got Portugal, you've got the Netherlands. Any predictions on those three games? Netherlands is going to be the tricky one. And how does the U.S. play that first game against Vietnam? Vietnam, uh, I think when you hear that name, people would say, well, it's going to be like the Thailand game. And maybe that's what I would have thought before, but then they played Germany. It was only a two-to-one loss. So uh, the Vietnam game may not be the, the big blowout like Thailand was, but they should win that comfortably. And I, I think that starting with Vietnam gives them a chance to rest some players. I, I think they start their best, but you've got five subs. You know, you don't have to play Alex Morgan 90 minutes, right? If Julie Ertz is starting in that game, which I expect she would, you don't have to play her 90 minutes. You know, rest the players that you know you're going to need for that Netherlands game. I'm not worried about Portugal. 
the Netherlands game is the one where, you know, maybe you don't get three points. And maybe you do, right? But that's the tough one. By far, that's the toughest one. They they should have no issues beating Vietnam. And even if they were to lose to the Netherlands or draw, they have enough to defeat Portugal and advance. You know, the question is that they finish first in the group or second in the group. But that Vietnam game is more important to me for how they how they use their players. How how do they rest and rotate a squad that has to play seven games? Any thoughts on bumping up to 32 teams for this Women's World Cup? Well, I'm not big on bigger is better, you know, and I, I think that's what FIFA does. But if the men have 32 and then later they're going to have 48, right? I mean, if, if the men had 32, why not? have the women have 32, right? The thing that I'm most upset about, though, on the women's side is when I read these stories, when you look at the 32 teams and you see that Canada, a great nation, but they're struggling, right, with money, their federation. Then you hear about the Nigeria problems, right? You hear about problems with Haiti. This is wrong. You know, FIFA should do something to make sure that the money is going to these players. Why is it that Haiti... Haiti's not played a home game, I think, in two years because of problems in the country, right? I mean, 32 teams on the women's side, that's that's great. But let's treat the 32 teams better. And it's not, it's not all 32 teams, obviously, but I only name like three countries. Look at the problems that, you know, Spain has had, you know. Uh, how has Argentina done over these years, right? Some of these, some of these teams are not well funded. And so for all the money that FIFA has. Uh, I know that they're giving 30000 a player, but first of all, let's make sure that the players are receiving that. I don't know how the payments are being distributed, but reading some bad stories, as I have every World Cup on Nigeria, and, and those stories continue to be gut-wrenching when you consider what these players and coaches have to go through just to qualify. Another solid take with JP Delacamera. Just two more questions, JP. You are not just a broadcaster. You are dabbling with the MASL. I had the great privilege of calling 16 games for the TST, and the MASL players blew my mind. They were fantastic. That tournament was fantastic. That That's not going away. They're going to bring that back. But tell us what you're doing with the MASL, sir. Well, I'm their media guy. Uh, I have a long title. Which, which looks good on a business card, I guess, but uh, it's more involved, I would say, than I thought when I first took it on. I, I took it on because of my love for indoor soccer. Indoor soccer really made me the outdoor broadcaster that I became. That's where my roots were. That's where I learned most of my knowledge came from, from players, coaches, referees, all back in the indoor days in the early 80s. So when they were looking for a commissioner, I didn't want to do that. I'm not qualified for that. Um, had a conversation with Keith Tozer and Shep Messing, two very good friends of mine. And it wasn't my idea. It was either Shep's or Keith. Nobody seems to remember. But we said, let's all three of us apply as one and see what happens. You know, So we applied for it. This is a longer story than you wanted. We applied for it as, as a trio. Got no response. And, and the only thing we were bothered by was the fact that you think somebody would have called and asked us, like, how we would how would we do it? Like, this must be intriguing. Three guys from indoor soccer's past wanting to help indoor soccer's future. And we didn't get that call. So we thought, okay, well, that's the way it goes. No, no big deal. 
And then a few weeks later, we got a call from someone within the group that said they wanted to revisit it. So we ended up with a couple of interviews and then we ended up taking it over and, you know, the rest is history. We're, we're trying to bring indoor back. It's, it's a great level of, of soccer in this country. It's, it's the one area that's never been given enough credit, right? Because before there was MLS, we only had indoor soccer. The major indoor soccer league at one time was the highest level of soccer in the United States. And we can never bring it back to that because MLS is so successful now. And we can watch all of these games from other leagues on our smartphone, on our iPad, even on television. So it'll never get back to that where you get the best players in the world. But we think we can raise it to a higher level. And that's what we think we've done so far. This is our, our third year of running it. It's been a labor of love for the three of us. And we'll see how long we can do it. Finally, JP, in your own words, the 1994 World Cup changed my life. I met my wife. It got me into MLS. It got me into broadcasting, which is really what I wanted to do all along. I'm not sure people out there realize what the 2026 World Cup is going to mean for so many lives. You've lived it. I mean, 17 times now you're headed to a World Cup. Can you put into words how having the World Cup in North America could change so many lives for young people that love soccer? As big as it was, Dean, in 1994, we really had no idea how big the internet was. There really was no social media back then. This is going to blow everything out of the water. This will set records for attendance like 94 did. It'll set records for sponsorship, for awareness of the sport. This will be lights out the greatest World Cup in history, men's side or women's side. This will set the bar so high, people have no idea. But now you've got young people. You know, my my six-year-old grandson, John, that we talked about in the beginning, I've taken him to some indoor soccer games. He's never been to an outdoor soccer game, but he's getting there. But this will be in his, his lifetime. This will be a memory for him. You know, and anybody that's of that age, right, or teenagers now, that that play these FIFA games, right? That have never uh, had the chance to experience a World Cup or a Champions League game or even a great international friendly at Wembley can see it in their own backyard, right? And they're in enough cities in this country, Mexico and Canada, to really make an impact. This will be this will be the biggest soccer event in history, is the best way to put it. As we say goodbye, I said that was the last question, but this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I see you, I think, every convention. You've always had time for United Soccer Coaches. It's a great organization. Can you just end with some thoughts about United Soccer Coaches? It's a huge event. It's something that I've always enjoyed going to where you meet friends. Uh, that's really the only time I see you, right? You know, so you, you run into people that you haven't seen in a long time. And I think that's always great. Um, since we started with the indoor soccer project, we've always been a part of the convention. We believe in it. And so the first two years we went to the convention, we did a, a show called Back to the Future, where we try to talk about, I guess, the, the good old days, right? And this year in California, we've decided to take a a different take right now the plans are to have uh, an indoor game probably futsal because of the the spacing and and what we're given there but we want to have a game there that will involve our our california team 
that's in that area, the Empire Strikers, would like to have a big presentation there. We think that's the way to go. So until we came in there with the MASL, the indoor soccer group had never been a part of the coaches convention. And that was one of the things that Keith Tozer said when he took over as commissioner, this is something big. And Keith already had with his futsal, uh, he already had a connection with United Soccer Coaches. So Keith believes in that group as much as anyone. And so we wanted to be a part of it. He started it. He got the ball rolling. And, you know, we're in it to stay. Great group. JP Delacamera heading over for his 17th World Cup, 7th Women's World Cup. He's done 10 Men's World Cups as well. And he always does it with such great integrity and grace. JP, you are the best. And really appreciate you kicking this week's podcast off. Have fun over in New Zealand and Australia, and we'll be looking forward to your call as always. Dean, thanks for having me. Always my pleasure. Always great to spend time with JP. People know him by just those two letters, JP. People also know the head men's soccer coach at Dartmouth by just saying Bo. We have been calling his last name wrong forever. He's let it go, but you'll hear Bo say it the right way when we return. Bo, the head men's soccer coach for the Dartmouth men's soccer team on the bounce. Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash CoachCon. This is Dean Linke, host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast with a special message from the Portland Community Football Club. Friday, July 21st, the Sports Brawl and Portland Community Football Club will kick off Team USA's World Cup run with a watch party at the Pioneer Courthouse Square. The match against Vietnam starts at 6 p.m., but fans of all ages can join starting at 12 for a day full of soccer, local food and spirits, and a screening of Bandit Like Beckham. Follow at the Sports Brawl PDX or at PCFC Soccer on Instagram for more. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. We kicked off the show with JP Della Camera, who'll be calling his 17th World Cup, 7th Women's World Cup, 10 Men's World Cup. And from him, we go to one of my all-time favorite people, Bo Oshoni, who was a big-time player in MLS with Kansas City and Columbus, and now is a big-time coach. He's at Dartmouth now. I first got to know him particularly when he was at Penn State from 2011 to 2014 before he got his first head coaching job at East Tennessee State, where he did great work there. And he's now been with the Dartmouth Big Green since 2018, getting ready for the fall campaign. Bo, great to see you. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. It's great to, you know, see you again and, uh, you know, be part of it again. Yeah, Bo, you were always super nice to me when I would come in with the Big Ten Network in 2011 to 14. I'm trying to think, who was the head coach at that time? It was Bob Warming, Bob Warming at Penn State. Yeah, 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 we had some good memories there. Smiling Bob, okay, (laughs) because then you got your chance with East Tennessee State. Remind me that process. So you're rolling along, you know you want to get in coaching, you know you want to be a head coach. What do you remember about getting that job at East Tennessee State? 
Yeah, it was just one of those things where, you know, I think, uh, you know, as an assistant coach, you always have these, uh, you know, grand illusions that you're going to get a head job at a power five school and you're kind of holding out for, uh, you know, those moments. And then, you know, this job at East Tennessee State came open and, uh, you know, I just felt like it was a perfect fit, uh, you know, for me. And, uh, you know, it turned out to be a great, great, uh, you know, uh, time there, uh, you know, at East Tennessee State. And, uh, you know, for a first time head coach, uh, you know, I just really, really enjoyed the process and just really enjoyed my, uh, you know, four years there. And we've had a lot of success there as well. And so it's just an unbelievable experience. You're obviously loving Dartmouth. Dartmouth in the Ivy League, ton of pedigree. I feel like there's been several big time coaches at Dartmouth yeah. even before you as well. Yeah. What is it like leading Dartmouth? There's such a rich history here, both on and off the field. And like you said, from, uh, you know, Jeff Cook, Chad Riley, all the way back to Bobby Clark. It's just like you said, there's just been so many, uh, you know, coaches that have come through Dartmouth and, uh, you know, had some uh, unbelievable success. Uh, you know, Brian Weiss was an assistant here. He's now done unbelievable things at Georgetown. So, uh, you know, just to be in this chair is, uh, you know, remarkable. For me, there hasn't been many black coaches in the Ivy League. I think there's only been one other, Brian Tompkins at Yale. And so, uh, you know, to be, uh, you know, a black coach in the, in the Ivy League, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. And I wouldn't want to be at another place than, uh, you know, Dartmouth. We're here with Bo Oshoni. Bo, I want your entire story. I want to know where you grew up, and I want you to start by pronouncing your name in full so people know <laughs> why we just call you Bo. Start. Right. Tell us where you grew up. I know you went to Southern Connecticut, I believe. Yep. Give us your yep. whole story, Bo. Yeah, so uh, my full pronunciation is Ade Boyega Oshoni. My third grade teacher found Bo out of all that. And, uh, you know, I've been Bo ever since. Uh, my mom hates it, but uh, she still calls me Ade Boyega. And, uh, you know, so I love that. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York. To be honest, I had a rough going of uh, soccer. Uh, you know, I got cut from our uh, travel team, you know, every year up until uh, about U16. At that point, uh, the team, that U16 team, uh, always went to Germany. Germany, and I wanted to go to Germany and uh, they said they needed a backup goalie and I said perfect I'll take it and uh, you know the kind of the rest is uh, you know history as far as uh, you know goalkeeping goes and uh, you know I got a chance to play for Ray Reed at Southern Connecticut won a couple of national championships there was an All-American goalkeeper of the year first uh, division two player to ever uh, you know do that um, and then I was drafted you know into uh, you know Major League Soccer with uh, you know the Columbus crew and Timo Leakowski uh, you know drafted me and um, it was uh, you know, a great experience there. And then a goalkeeper named Brad Friedel came in and, uh, you know, took my job. And, uh, you know, I ended up in the back then it was called the A-League and, uh, you know, bounced around the A-League for about three years. And then um, Bob Gansler uh, gave me a chance to bring me into preseason at Kansas City. And, uh, you know, Tony Miola was the starter there. And that was a backup for him, uh, you know, for quite a while. And then I got my chance to, to start. And, you know, we um, made it to an MLS Cup in uh, 2004. We won the MLS Cup in 2000. I just knew at that point, you know, I played, you know, in MLS and, you know, did the A-League thing, did the pro stuff. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to be in college soccer. Um, I just always love that 18 to 22 year old, uh, you know, range of kids where you can help, uh, you know, continue to develop, uh, you know, those kids. And, uh, you know, so George Kiefer, who was my college roommate, uh, gave me a shot as an assistant at South Florida. Uh, we won the Big East Championship there. Uh, I think it was 2008. I can't remember now. And then um, Jay Vinovich called. And, um, you know, I think uh, Jay's one of the best tacticians in the game. And, uh, you know, he gave me a shot at Wake. And we went to a Final Four there. 
there. And then Bob Warman called and, uh, you know, he asked me to come on uh, with Penn State. And, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, going out there for uh, about four or five years. And so it's been an unbelievable journey. I love the fact that I've, uh, you know, been able to play at a high level, uh, you know, coach at a high level. I've been able to be, get in with the youth national teams, uh, you know, and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm blessed, you know, to be able to have some great mentors, uh, you know, along the way that have, you know, guided me and helped me, uh, you know, be the coach that I am today. Oh, do you realize the names you just dropped? Ray Reed, <laughs> legend of the game. Timo Wilkowski, he's in the picture right behind me. In 1994, then you talk about Jay Vitovich, Bob Gansler, George Kiefer, who I love. Yep. I names for him at NC State. I yep. mean, just incredible names, icons in the game that you were brushing shoulders from, and I'm guessing soaking everything in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, I've taken nuggets from every single coach that I've, uh, you know, I've ever been in contact with, and uh, you know, just tried to molded into my kind of, uh, you know, vision and, uh, you know, philosophy. And I've been lucky, you know, I really have, I've been lucky to have some unbelievable, uh, you know, mentors, like you said, to, to be able to, you know, be coached by Bob Gansler, you know, one of the best, you know, coaches of all time, you know, in, uh, in us soccer history and, um, you know, to be around Bob warming, to be around, uh, you know, Jay Vinovich, Ray Reed, uh, you know, even Bob DeCranian, if you want to go way back, you know, and stuff. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, an unbelievable, uh, you know, journey and, uh, you know, I'm excited uh, where I'm at right now and, uh, you know, excited to just keep, uh, you know, things going and moving in the right direction here at Dartmouth. I want to focus on Dartmouth, but I do want to go back to Brad Frito and Tony Miola. <laughs> Describe them as goalkeepers. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, two completely different goalkeepers, you know, two completely different people with Brad Friedel, it was, uh, you know, kind of neat to, you know, be around him, uh, you know, especially being such a young goalkeeper, uh, you know, at the time and, you know, learning from him and uh, in Columbus, uh, you know, a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I was an older goalkeeper when I had a chance to, you know, work with Tony Miola and, uh, you know, Tony and I, you know, built, uh, you know, a pretty good relationship. Um, you know, we had our bumps, you know, for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, him and I definitely uh, enjoyed, uh, you know, working together. And uh, like I said, just, uh, you know, two great, great goalkeepers, two completely, uh, you know, different types of, uh, you know, people. But uh, again, you know, having a chance to, uh, you know, work with, uh, you know, both of them was unbelievable. Bo, going back to your name, I want you to say it one more time and then tell me where that comes from. Where, where are your parents from? Yeah, so it's Ade Boyega Oshoni. Um, it's Nigerian. My father was Nigerian. My mother was an American. They met in college. My father actually passed away when I was uh, quite young. So I didn't get a chance to really immerse myself in the Nigerian culture, uh, you know, and things um, as much as I would like to. Uh, my brother and I are actually planning a trip to go back. Uh, you know, to Nigeria here in the next year or two uh, to see some of his, uh, you know, my father's family and things like that. And it means Prince, uh, you know, able to lead. And, uh, you know, ironically, uh, you know, I'm in a position now where I'm having to lead 30 young men, you know, and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. So to be clear, it's Oshani. Everybody calls you Oshoni. You know that, right? Oshoni. Yes, I know. I, I know. Really I think I just got tired of trying to correct everybody. <laughs> And I didn't even know that. So it's Oceany, which is Oceany. beautiful. Yeah, Oceany. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Beautiful. All right. Sorry, Bo, that I, and I may fall back into the Oceany because I think everybody. Everybody says that. That's right. On, games on TV, right? With Dartmouth. Yes. And, and you're yeah. okay with that? 
No, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I, they're getting close. They're close. It's a tough name. It's a long name. So they're definitely close. <laughs> Bo, I would describe you as an incredibly welcoming person. You're so endearing. I mean, to talk to you, to meet you, even to wave to you. Where did you get those qualities, Bo? Because you really are very welcoming. I, I think it's probably from my mother, you know, um, just, uh, you know, the way she raised me, uh, you know, being raised by, a, you know, a single mother, you have to, you know, take on, you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, I, so I just think, uh, you know, the type of person she was or she is, um, is something that, uh, you know, bleeds in me. And, uh, you know, I just, I try to take everybody for what it's worth, you know, and uh, I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Um, you know, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and, uh, you know, that people are good, you know, deep down. And so, uh, you know, I think when you do that, uh, you know, people feel comfortable, uh, you know, connecting with you. And I think, uh, you know, that's why I've had success as a coach. Cause I think the players that I've coached see that, um, you know, I really are into it more than just winning and losing games. You know, I'm into it, uh, you know, help them, uh, you know, build into, you know, great young men. And, uh, you know, I think when guys see that, uh, you know, they'll run through a wall for you. You're hearing the voice and the passion of Bo Oshanee, not Bo Oshoney, but <laughs> ever. And, and I'm glad you said everybody else does. So maybe I'm off the hook there, but <laughs> take pride, Bo, in getting it right. And I also take pride in the fact that I was able to go to the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event. And I've been on this podcast ever since saying, for me, it was the best event at the convention because there was a different aura. There was a different electricity there was a different feeling and as I was kind of levitating in fact my wife was with me as well I mean I walk in I see Lincoln Phillips who I was with in the late 80s early 90s as the press officer of the 94 team I hear him up there saying now is our time and for me Bo Lincoln Phillips was just a great guy a great coach I didn't think of him as a black coach and had no idea you know some of the adversities that he's had to overcome in his world and to hear him speak, and then everybody mesmerized. And then I have this vivid, vivid memory of you <sighs> standing in the back. And I felt like, Bo, if I read it right, you were just taking it in. You were just taking it in. Can you explain how you felt at that event? It was unbelievable, you know, Dean. I think, um, you know, to have so many, uh, you know, black coaches there, but not even just black coaches, even, you know, people from all different nationalities at that event. And, uh, you know, everybody just being so grateful, uh, you know, that, um, you know, we were able to put on something like that at the coaches convention because it's never happened before. Um, it's probably, um, you know, something that needed to happen sooner. And, uh, you know, for me, like you said, when you're, you're when you're watching, you know, Lincoln Phillips up there, uh, you know, when you're watching Hugh Mendez, uh, you know, up there talking and things like that, uh, you know, for me, those are guys that I've always looked up to, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be in the position I in today without those people. And so for me to, to be part of that, um, you know, and to be attending, you know, something that was so, so special, uh, you know, was awesome. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of credit goes out to, uh, you know, Nicole Hercules, who has been, uh, you know, steering this ship, uh, you know, for so long. And, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, it brought so much joy to see her, 
get the recognition that uh, she long deserved, uh, you know, for fighting a lot of battles, you know, both on the men's and women's side, um, you know, not only for coaches, but for players. Um, and so to see her, uh, you know, up there and, uh, you know, getting that type of recognition and being part of something like that was, uh, you know, hopefully special and hopefully something that, you know, continues, uh, you know, going forward, uh, you know, at the convention and beyond. You nailed it on the head because the Black Soccer Coaches Group has been around in different iterations forever. Yeah. I remember sometimes there's only like seven or eight, but That's along right. comes Nicole Hercules. And man, you talk about a powerful voice, a yeah. beautiful smile, a warm heart, one that it treats everybody the same, right? Doesn't yep. matter yep. what your race, your gender, who you love, anything like that. And in comes Nicole Hercules. And now Uncle Mo is behind the black <laughs> soccer coaches. And yep. they have to be, they have to be because yes. you're watching the U.S. Men right now, if you're watching the U.S. women right now, there's representation. So we got to have coaches that look like those players. It's that simple. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think you see it in, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, other sports. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're probably a little bit, uh, you know, behind, uh, you know, in that. But, uh, you know, hopefully that, you know, that narrative changes, you know. And I think, uh, you know, events like that, you know, or things that people need to see, you know, just to see the support and the, the momentum, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the black coaches have in this country. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, you start to see more of that both on the men and women's side, not only in the college game, but, uh, you know, in the professional game as well. We're here with Bo Oceanee. I think it's fascinating that you played for Ray Reed because I feel like Ray, even before his time, said, hey, I've got a spot for young African-American men. And he continues to do that, right? Yes. As his replacement is a black coach, which is incredible. Right. Yep. That had to make you feel pretty good knowing that you were going to be treated equal, I hope, I suspect, knowing Ray Reed when you yep. went to yeah, it was huge. It was huge for me to, uh, you know, be able to walk into the locker room and see a lot of kids that look like me. Um, and, uh, you know, I attribute that to, uh, you know, Ray Reed. I think, uh, you know, whether it was at Southern Connecticut or at, uh, at UConn, um, you know, he's always tried to give, um, you know, black players, uh, you know, an opportunity and, and supported them. You know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of them came from, uh, you know, not the best environments coming out of, coming out of high school. And he still supported, uh, you know, those players. And, uh, you know, I think it's a testament that, uh, you know, Chris Bondi is, uh, you know, now the head coach at, uh, at UConn. You know, he was an unbelievable player, obviously, there. And, uh, you know, now to see him lead, uh, you know, that program, uh, you know, after Ray left that, you know, is, is unbelievable. And uh, it's a testament to Ray. You know, he's always been like that. He's always been, for me, he was a father figure. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways at Southern Connecticut. And so, um, you know, to, to know just where his heart is, uh, you know, when it comes to that. And it's, it's not just about players. You know, he, he um, you know, puts his money where his mouth is, if I say. You know, he does. He uh, tries to, you know, do everything in his power to, uh, you know, support black players and black coaches. And, uh, you know, it was great to have a person like that, uh, you know, in the game. Bo, I'm so pleased that you were really able to open up and tell us your story. The fact that your father passed away when you were really young you were raised by a single mom can you reach inside your heart and tell us what your single mom said to you about being a young black boy in the United States where we still have racism way too much of it still have a divisive country what did she say to you because I'm sure she gave you some basic instructions yeah no she I mean one she just talked about you know always uh you know 
being the best uh, person you can be. You know, don't worry about the, you as a player or as a, as a soccer player, as a soccer coach. Just be, uh, you know, the best person you can be. And then the other piece that she said, and, uh, you know, this always resonated with me, is that you're going to have to be, you know, two or three times better than, uh, you know, the white people that you might be going up against just to get an opportunity. And then once you get that opportunity, don't let it slip. You know, don't uh, take it for granted. And, uh, you know, that's something that's always, uh, you know, just really resonate with me is, uh, you know, making sure that when I do get these opportunities that I, I don't take it, uh, take it for granted. And then on top of it, I think what I've tried to do is bring some people along, uh, you know, with me, uh, you know, and try to help some of the younger coaches, uh, you know, the younger players, even when I was playing, and, uh, you know, try to help them, you know, kind of pull some people with them. Because I think if we all keep pulling people with us, you know, we're all going to reach, uh, you know, the top. And, you know, that's uh, one of the beauties here at, uh, at Dartmouth. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to be in the Ivy League was to, you know, give – kids that never in their wildest dreams would have thought that they could get an Ivy league education. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at our roster, we're very diverse in a lot of different ways, not only in uh, race, but, uh, you know, even just in uh, different nationalities and things like that. So, that's how I feel like I could do my part is, uh, you know, being able to give kids that would never thought that they could, uh, you know, be at an Ivy League school, uh, you know, an Ivy League education. Love that you're doing it, Bo, at Dartmouth. I feel like you're kind of telling me you're in a really good place, maybe a place that you can hang around for a long, long time. I'll let you answer that question in a moment. But first, tell me what kind of team you have coming forward here in the fall. Yeah, we have a we have a really exciting team. Uh, you know, we brought in we're definitely attack heavy for uh, you know 2023. Uh, you know, we struggled to you know score goals a little bit in the last couple of seasons, so we've really focused on uh, you know bringing in some really exciting attacking players. And uh, you know, I think for us, you know, we're in a great spot because our culture is in a great spot. Uh, you know, I feel we finally get to the point now where uh, you know I feel like this team is mine. Um, you know, when I took over, they had won four straight Ivy League championships, and so for me, I had to change the culture from a successful program, which takes time. And, uh, you know, this is the first year where I really feel that, you know, this group is mine and, uh, you know, we're hungry. Um, you know, the guys are working hard. They're excited. Um, you know, they, they want to win an Ivy league championship, but at the end of the day, they want to try to win a national championship. And so, uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, just a great feeling to have when you have a group of young men that are bought into, uh, you know, what we're trying to do and trying to, you know, have success, uh, you know, both on and off the field. Knowing how happy you are at Dartmouth, what happens when a power five school does call you and says, Bo, we want you to lead our team in the Big Ten or in the ACC, something like that, Bo, what do you do? Well, first, I, I talk to my wife and she'll strangle me because I've moved her around enough where, uh, you know, I, I promised her that, uh, you know, this would be, uh, you know, one of the last stops for us. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, Dean, if, uh, you know, those opportunities come up, uh, you know, I definitely would entertain them. You know, I think you'd, you'd be a fool not to, but I love it here. I, I do. I think, uh, you know, we have a new AD um, in Mike Harity. Uh, you know, we have a new president coming in. There's just a lot of, uh, you know, momentum going on here at Dartmouth, um, you know, and I've always wanted to coach in the Ivy League. And so I, I love where I'm at right now. Um, you know, I think if I hadn't played um, at a high level, you know, maybe I'd be chasing, you know, that, uh, you know, Big Ten or, you know, ACC, um, you know, job. But, uh, you know, I'm happy here. Um, I love it here. I think the only thing I would probably try to entertain is, uh, you know, an MLS job at some point. But, you know, right now, uh, I, I love Dartmouth. 
Um, you know, I love the kids that we have. I love what we have going on here. And, uh, you know, I don't see me, uh, you know, leaving anytime soon, for sure. I appreciate that answer, particularly tying in MLS. I think, you know, I was the press officer of the 94 World Cup. It changed my life. I don't yep. think people quite realize how the 2026 World Cup is going to change so many lives. It's going to be the biggest World Cup in the history <laughs> It's going to be more tickets sold, more sponsorships sold. JP Delacamera even just said the same thing. And then kind of going back to the fact that when you look at both of those teams, I mean, I think more than 50% of the team or just about is black as well. So that's exciting. But I mean, right now, Bo, when you look at MLS, you look at NWSL, you look at the U.S. national teams, I don't think there's been a better time for soccer and it's only going to get bigger and better. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's an exciting, exciting time for, uh, you know, soccer as a whole in this country. And uh, like you said, when this World Cup is, uh, you know, done, I just think, uh, you know, soccer is going to explode already, make it even bigger than where it is, uh, you know, even now. And I think there's just going to be a lot of opportunities, uh, you know, for uh, coaches, for, uh, you know, players, uh, you know, for general managers, technical directors and things like that. So it, it really is an exciting time. And I think it's just going to have a domino effect all the way down to, uh, you know, the youth level and uh, you know I think you're going to continue to see it grow and uh, you know my hope is that you know especially in uh, you know Major League Soccer that um, you know some more black coaches do get some opportunities. I think, uh, you know, when you look at Ezra Hendrickson, um, you know, when he had his opportunity in, uh, I think, in Chicago, um, you know, there's been a couple here and there. But I, I do hope that, uh, you know, more and more, uh, you know, black coaches do start getting opportunities, uh, you know, in, uh, in Major League Soccer and, uh, you know, definitely on the women's side, uh, you know, as well. Um, just because, like you said, I think we're represented in the players and so now it'd be great for these players to uh you know be led by somebody that uh you know looks like them so i i hope that's the you know the the momentum that comes from uh you know the world cup and you know hopefully that's something that we can see in the future finally bo what would it mean to you if in short order when we're talking to lincoln phillips or we're talking to kadani mcalpine or we're talking yep. to shaka daily or we're talking to bo oceany that we don't have to say the word black that we can just say coach. I agree with that to an extent, Dean. I, I definitely think, um, you know, you'd like to take that tag off of us and just, uh, you know, call us great coaches. But, uh, you know, I, I actually like being called a black coach. You know what I mean? Because I do. I think it uh, says something. You know what I mean? I think it says something about the, the struggles that, like you said, the Shaka Dailies of the world, the Chris Bondies of the world that have had to go through to get to this point. And, uh, you know, I would never want to, uh, you know, take that away, you know. And so I'm okay, you know, with being one of the few black coaches in college soccer so that uh you know hopefully this podcast uh you know maybe resonates with you know a kid that's playing in college right now that says hey you know what maybe i could be uh you know a college coach one day because you know these guys have paved the way uh you know for me so yeah as much as i say i'd like to be called just a great coach I, i'm all right with being called the black uh you know head coach for sure one more time your full name let me hear it <laughs> Oceany. Gosh, I love it. Bo, you, <laughs> man, I've been wanting to have you on this podcast ever since that night for the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event. I loved you just kind of taking it in and I was feeling it. I know you were feeling it. Yeah, it was and awesome. I, I think Uncle Mo is behind what's going on with the Black Soccer Coaches community for sure. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And, uh, you know, I think there's more to come. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, that event just scratched the surface. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, people were, I wouldn't say in shock, but definitely were impressed, you know, just to see the turnout and see 
the the excitement and see the passion uh you know what that was there uh you know with the with the black coaches association and i agree i think it's just going to continue to to grow and uh you know get bigger and bigger Bo, you are the man this has been a great interview i want to wish you all of the best luck and success with dartmouth this fall campaign is my favorite time of the year i love <laughs> i know as you know that's thank you both. so Good luck with Dartmouth, and thank you so much for being on. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. It's great to see you again, and uh, like I said, hopefully we'll get a chance to see each other face-to-face uh, -face soon. Always great to spend time with Bo. When we return, we switch to high school soccer. Courtesy of Lee Gerald, we're joined by Stan Williams, the head girls soccer coach at Champlain Valley Union High School, where they have the most state championships of any other girls program in the country. They have 20. Stan Williams has won seven of those in just 10 years, and he played in two other state championship games. The high school soccer scene with Stan Williams after these messages. College services registration is open for the 2023-24 season. Now is the time to register your program and begin receiving the benefits of United Soccer Coaches membership. As a member, you gain access to coaching resources, general liability insurance, awards and rankings eligibility, and so much more. As the home of all coaches, United Soccer Coaches serves to support coaches, recognize your athletes' accomplishments, and advocate for meaningful change that protects coaches and players. Register your program today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. What a great start to the show. Visiting with JP Della Camera, who'll call his 17th World Cup with the Women's World Cup coming up in New Zealand and Australia. I want to thank Bo Oceanee, who is the head coach for the Dartmouth men's soccer team. And now we head to high school soccer. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love high school soccer for selfish reasons. Both of my boys loved their time playing high school soccer. And we're joined by one of the greats in high school soccer from one of the great schools, Champlain Valley Union High School in the beautiful state of Vermont has the most state championships of any other girls program in the country. They have 20. Stan Williams has won seven of those as the head coach. And Stan Williams joins me now, the girls head soccer coach at Champlain Valley Union High School. Coach Williams, great to be with you. Uh, Dean, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate the chance to come on here and talk. Yeah, well, I told you before we even started rolling, I love high school soccer and it's interesting. I'm going to throw you in with Anson Dorrance. I live in Chapel Hill. I broke into soccer with Anson Dorrance in 1989 as he was getting the 91 team ready. He's got 22 national championships, 21 official, 22 overall. So I'm going to let Anson know that you're going to chase him down at Champlain <laughs> Union High School. Does that work for you? That, that works fine. That works fine. I'm sure he's going to be pretty nervous about that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's great. Let him know we're, we're coming for him. <laughs> All right, well, tell me about the success. You're not the first coach from Vermont I've talked to. They clearly play really good soccer in Vermont. Tell me about Champlain Valley Union High School and what makes it such a special program and particularly what makes their girls' soccer program so great. CVU soccer has been uh, has been a you know really a tradition for uh, for years, both on the boys and the girls' side. The boys have had tremendous success as uh, as well, and so I actually was a graduate of uh, CVU from 1989, uh, and you know and played soccer there, and so uh, it has been something that I has been really close to me um, now uh, for many many years. 
there's been a, as you said, uh, it's been long before I got involved and it will, uh, I assume, be successful long after I am involved. But, uh, you know, we have a, a wonderful uh, soccer community up here. We're just outside of Burlington. Uh, we're in, uh, CBU has four kind of sending towns that uh, that go to it and uh, very popular. Soccer is incredibly popular, has been up here for a long time, uh, tremendous support. And so I think Probably any uh, any coach that has had success will uh, start with uh, the number one thing is they've had really good players. And so uh, we have had a community that has made sure that we have had really good players coming into that high school for uh, for a number of years. And that uh, first and foremost is always what's uh, what's made it successful. So it's a it's a great place. to It was a great place to play. It's a great place to coach. Uh, it is just uh, it's such a part of the community. I just uh, this morning was at the you know, Red Hawk soccer school and uh, is kind of seeing this next wave of all these kids that are coming up. And uh, and so it's really fun. And it's a, it's a big part of the community. Paint a picture for me. Is the town called Champlain Valley where the school is located? Okay, no. So tell me the name of the town, how many people live in the town. Give me an idea of it. When I think Vermont, I right. think cool. my wife actually did an outward bound in Vermont. She loves Vermont as well. Paint a picture for me. Sure. So we're just outside of Burlington. Uh, Seaview is what up here we call a union school. So there are multiple towns that feed into the high school. So Shelburne, Charlotte, Williston, Hinesburg, and St. George are five towns that all of the students go from those middle schools will go into that. Uh, the high school itself is about 1,400 students, which again, from your area may not seem like a big thing in Vermont. That's a, that's a big school. That's about the biggest uh, high school population. And so, so yeah, we're, uh, we're right up here kind of along the lake by Burlington and those schools all head to, uh, to CVU and those kids come together. All right. You said you played there and I actually, I still have ties to my little tiny high school in Ohio. In fact, both my boys actually went back there for a year to play basketball because I knew it was going to be a good opportunity for them to also get their grades right because it's a smaller school. So I always appreciate people that love their high school and want to return and want to be a part of it. That's part of your story, right, Stan? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny timing. Just one of my best friends from high school who I played grew up playing soccer with, you know, he was just back in town the other day and we met up and it probably had taken about five minutes before we broke into, uh, you know, old soccer stories. Uh, very little of which actually happened on the field, most of which was, you know, uh, who knows what, a bus ride or a dinner. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's where the memories are made for sure. And, you know, I think for myself, uh, soccer has played a huge part in the friendships that I had and have to this day. And so many of those uh, memories come, you know, either from the sport itself or things that the sport um, prompted me to do or people prompted me to meet. Now, Stan, do you also teach at the school or do you have a different job? No, I do. Yeah, I've worked in the high school in the district as a, as a teacher and as an instructional coach for uh, almost 30 years now. All right. So give me your story. Tell me about your family. How many brothers and sisters? You obviously went to this school. I'm assuming it was called, was it called the same name when you were there? Yeah. Or yeah. So same name as well. Where did you go to college? And I guess you majored in education, maybe. Is that right, Stan? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up here in Shelburne, Vermont. Uh, I was an only child, um, but again, um, you know, really active in a lot of sports. And we were really, at my age, I was lucky. We It was kind of before club soccer, at least in Vermont, had really begun. And there were a couple of local uh, fathers who had some 
some connections uh, across uh, different places that really wanted to start something up. And so they started a kind of a travel team in our town and it was really one of the first two. There was one in Shelburne and one in Burlington. And uh, those two teams would play each other all the time, but then we would travel to Montreal almost every weekend for the summer and play various teams around there. And so it really was one of the first travel opportunities um, kind of maybe in this area, the the origin of some club soccer. Um, now club soccer is everywhere in, in the area, but this was, uh, <clears throat> gosh, back in the uh, early 1980s. And so so that's where, you know, that was kind of my start with it. I'd played rec and did this and then high school at CVU. And then I went on to uh, Hamilton College in upstate New York. I uh, played, uh, played on the junior varsity team for a couple of years and, again, had some tremendous um some tremendous friends and experiences from that and continued to play. And then just as it so happened, I plans after graduation fell through, I ended up coming uh, back to Vermont and a person that I knew uh, their husband was coaching a local rec team and he had gotten sick and they asked if I could fill in for the last three weeks. And so I filled in for the last three weeks and I really enjoyed it. That uh, coming fall, I was kind of figuring out what to do with my life and uh, Middlebury high school had a, uh, a JV, assist, a JV job was open. I got that. I started uh, substitute teaching. All of my family had been involved in education from superintendents to principals to teachers. So I had always, of course, as a kid said, I would never get involved in education. And then uh, I enjoyed it. And so I ended up going to a college here, right around here, St. Michael's College to get uh, my teaching diploma. I had been in a, a American studies and public policy in, at Hamilton. And so did a year to get that and did some student teaching. And then the CVU uh, JV job came up and I ended up getting a teaching job at CVU. And, uh, you know, that's what got me into the, uh, in the door. I coached on the junior varsity for a, a number of years, I think starting in 94. And then I uh, assisted with the varsity for a little bit. I stopped when our kids were young. We had a couple of kids and I stopped for, uh, for a couple of years and then went back and assisted with the girls for a year. And then, decided to try with the boys and I worked with the boys varsity team for two years and then um, Brad Parker who had been the coach before me he had been the coach for around 25 years I think he uh, he was going to step down and so then in 2013 I threw my hat into the ring and I uh, I got the job and then that's where the last 10 years have uh, have been with the coaching so you've won seven state championships in just 10 years as the head coach so I have that right you, yes, yes, we've been to we've been to nine championships. Unfortunately, we lost a couple of them, but uh, yes, so we've won seven. Uh, I've been able to win seven in my my ten years. Yeah, and you've been to nine of the ten championship games as well. What happened on that one year? You were kind of slacking off there, coach. Yeah, you know that's those uh, those darn PKs got us in the semis. So uh, <laughs> we don't, uh, yeah, we uh, we don't think about that one much. But uh, but yes, so no, we've had a we've had a great run. Um, but uh, again, some tremendous kids and just kind of picking up where the program had been left off. Make sure you're paying attention if you're listening, folks. Stan Williams has been the head coach at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont for 10 years. He's been in nine championship games and one semifinals. He's won seven of them, part of 20 state championships on the girls' side. You mentioned Coach Parker and his long tenure. Does he have the other 13, Stan, or is there somebody else that got some of those? Uh, there would have been, uh, I believe Jeff Good would have been uh, – I'd have to look back. I had a couple before that. So uh, high school girls soccer in Vermont officially started getting recognized in 1981. I think there had been some club teams and teams prior to that. But as far as the uh, Vermont Principals Association, 1981 is the first year that they have 
uh, actual records, and that's where uh, that's where these that's where actual state championships started getting counted. Uh, so I know CVU did win the first one in 1981, and I'd have to check exactly how many they had prior to uh, to Brad uh, a couple, but then he certainly won a ton himself. Incredible. And, you know, I grew up in Ohio then have lived in North Carolina in a long time. And both states have four, if not five different divisions of high school athletics. Right. So they'll crown a D1, D2, D3, D4. How's it work in Vermont, Stan? Same, uh, same exact uh, thing. Uh, we have four divisions and uh, CVU is in division one. So the the uh, the most populated schools, the big schools. OK. Are they winning state titles in other sports as well, or are they just a girls' soccer powerhouse juggernaut? <laughs> no, uh, no. There's a, there's a, a pretty great history in a, a lot of the programs. I said the boys' soccer for uh, for years. Uh, our cross country teams have won uh, both state, New England. They've competed at the national level. Uh, our boys' lacrosse team. Gosh, I think they won nine years in a row, and um, you know, and our our girls' basketball as as well. And I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a number of teams that have had some uh, some great success uh, recently and historically. When pressed with this question, who are some of the most famous athletes, not just soccer players, but athletes, girls and boys, to come out of CVU that maybe went on to have success at college or even the professional ranks? You know, we have had uh, a, a lot of players go on to uh, to college soccer, uh, basketball, baseball. We've definitely had some uh, some cross country runners as well, uh, and definitely a couple of uh, skiers being up here. You know, just even this last year, I think we probably had about six or seven kids that were playing college soccer. And you know, the University of Vermont's captain uh, Natalie Duria had just had been a CVUer, and so we've had players kind of all over, mostly the Northeast, but then still up and down a little bit of the the East Coast and beyond. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've had plenty of dual uh, UVM basketball uh, star right now. Catherine Gilwey was a, a four-year soccer player as well and, and a superstar. Uh, Emily Kiniston, who was a basketball star at American University, and I think the MVP of their league, was also a, a soccer star for us. And so, you know, we've also had a lot of those multi-sport athletes that have gone on maybe to to uh, play other sports in college, but were humongous soccer uh, soccer players when they were in, uh, in high school. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another line when you are, for lack of a better word, arguing for the merits of high school soccer in that they can play other sports as well. You know that at the academy level, they try to get soccer players to not play high school soccer. That drives me nuts because I think the camaraderie is just a totally unique situation with high school soccer. Give me uh, the reasons why we all should love high school soccer and why everybody should be allowed to play high school soccer, even if they're the best player on their academy team. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and I, I definitely uh, have strong feelings about this. And I think the the one thing I'll step back and say is the clubs up here, and and one I'm even um, uh, work with, that they are greatly supportive of high school high school soccer. The relationship up here between high school soccer and the clubs um, is one where they work together, and so there is not a lot of that that battle or fight over time. And so uh, it's really about how do we uh, how do we support these kids the best way. And so. You know, maybe we're lucky in Vermont for uh, for that because I've certainly heard places where that's not the case. But uh, I will I will certainly preface this and say that up here that it's uh, it's incredibly supportive that relationship between the uh, between the two. But I think you know you just uh, you can't beat having these experiences with the people that you've grown up with 
there's just nothing better. As I said, the, the memory is one of the things we often talk about with the, the, the program is uh, you don't get a, a quote we often use is you don't get dropped on top of the mountain. It's all about the process and you got to enjoy the process and doing that with your best friends is uh, is wonderful. And then competing against, you know, Vermont's a small enough place where they know most of the kids they're competing against as well. Uh, there is nothing like playing in front of, you know, a big crowd against your local rival, be it on a, on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday night, but just that opportunity, you know, I, seen kids who have gone on to great and amazing uh, club careers and games, and those can be tremendous experiences, but it also could be 14 people on the sideline, um, a few parents from each and maybe a coach. And so there's something special about both of them, and uh, I think they can work together, but there is nothing like competing for your high school, competing for your town or your towns, uh, and kind of the, the pride that it brings. You know, I watched... Uh, I watched some of the USA Canada game last night in the uh, the gold cup gold cup and you know there's nothing like kind of competing for in that case your country and in our case the high school season is our world cup season uh, you get to support you know your town and your high school so uh, to me there's uh, there's nothing better and I think it's best when uh, everybody can realize we're just trying to provide chances for kids to uh, play some soccer make some memories and if the the clubs and the high schools can work together then it's only going to be better you're hearing the voice and the passion of Stan Williams, who's the head coach at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont, where they have 20 state championships. That's more than any girls high school program in the entire country. When you learned that stat, because it seemed like, Stan, before we came on the air, you told me it was relatively not that long ago when you learned that your high school has more than any other high school. How that how that sound to you? How that make you feel? Yeah, you know, it was funny. We when we actually won the championship this year, uh, we went to one of the players' uh, fathers has a has a restaurant, so that's where most of us went after the game. And while I was there, I got a text from uh, Alex Abrami, who's from the Burlington Free Press, congratulating us on having the most wins um, from and in Vermont, and and both both boys or girls. And we had actually been tied with our boys program, who had had 19. And so uh, we uh, jumped past them. And then it wasn't until uh, a little bit later that we found out about the uh, the part from the country. So that's that's really neat. I mean, this team has been and this program has been lucky to get some uh, recognition individually. You know, we've got the All American this year um, from. United Soccer. We've got, uh, we've had chance to be nationally ranked uh, a number of times. And so it's, you know, I know the things that go into all of those, but it's just, it's great to get recognition for these players and the kids who are part of the program and who have been part of the program. And, you know, as I said today, you, that's not lost on the kids who want to be part of it, uh, be it if they're in sixth grade right now or in eighth grade. And, uh, and it's just, it's a, it's cool to see it build upon itself. Speaking of recognition, let's make sure we drop some names. You can't do it all by yourself. Who are some coaches that help you? Whether I'm sure you don't have a massive coaching staff, but who are some people that have helped your program stay great? Yeah, I mean, you know, currently we've got uh, wonderful. I've got uh, uh, Chris Smith, who has been a teacher at the at the school and uh, has worked in the program for years. Uh, it's been great the last few years. Emily Milbank, who uh, was an All-American at CBU and then went on to the University of Vermont and played and is now um, back in the area and she has been there as an assistant coach and so you know again that's such a great influence for the current team to see somebody who has been through it and who's gone to even a higher level and then to uh, to come back and you know and we've been lucky we have, uh, Alex Matteo who coaches our JV team who was from Connecticut but then played college soccer up in St. Michael's in Vermont so there's really a, a great uh, kind of that ability to see where soccer has uh, had an impact on these coaches not just uh, 
you know, they don't just hear about it. And so they've all been, uh, they've all been wonderful. Uh, our longtime athletic director, Dan Shepherdson, who uh, held, holds many soccer records himself from when he was coaching at Northfield. Uh, he was a, a giant supporter for, uh, for us. And uh, so, you know, we've had numerous people in that soccer, uh, soccer world up here who have had a really big impact on kind of this program the last decade. You read my mind. I was going to ask you about the AD. Why not say the name of the boys coach as well? Sounds like they're pretty good too. Yeah, Rob Cole, uh, Rob who played at Middlebury College uh, and is a local. He's a South from a South Burlington, Vermont. So uh, yeah, Rob has been uh, there now for uh, oh gosh, probably for quite a few years, and they've had again great success. Uh, and so again, it's a case of a local Vermonter who played high school soccer in Vermont, played college soccer in Vermont, and is now you know giving back and uh, coaching. And he's he comes from a family of uh, coaches. His his brother Brad, who played at UVM, is also now a coach out at the University of Portland. And so, uh, so soccer is definitely, and coaching is in their uh, their blood. And prior to that, CVU hired uh, Katie Mack, and it was the first uh, Division One uh, program to be run by a, a woman. And uh, and Katie was uh, was a tremendous coach and teaches at the school. And then uh, TJ Mead before that, that's who I worked with for a couple of years, who he also was the CVU graduate and he was the captain at the University of Vermont. So there's definitely a long tradition of Vermont uh, athletes coming back and uh, and working and coaching uh, in the schools. Dan Williams, the head girls soccer coach for Champlain Valley Union High School. They call them student athletes for a reason since we're given shout outs. How about the principal and the superintendent at this fine school. Yeah, so Renee Sanchez is the uh, is the superintendent um, and he replaced Elaine Pinckney who had been there for uh, for years. Um, and so uh, Renee has been there the last couple of years. And then uh, Adam Bunting, who uh, uh, also <laughs> grew up in this area and uh, played a lot of sports. Uh, he was more of a lacrosse and uh, cross country uh, running, but uh, he is the principal, uh, another Seaview graduate who has, uh, has come back to work there. And so, yeah, they, they too are uh, great, not just supporters of, of soccer by any means, but uh, really making sure that, uh, I think you said, student athletes and that it is, uh, it is recognized that it's, it's important and, you know, and they're wonderful about supporting us uh, just as much as supporting uh, everything else in the school. So it's a, it's a great place to, it's a great place to be. And uh, yeah, I feel really lucky. Yeah, I can tell. I definitely, Vermont is on my checklist to go. My wife talks about it all the time. As I mentioned, she did an outward bound when she graduated from college out of Franklin to Marshall in Pennsylvania, and she wants to go back as well. So hopefully we can make that happen sometime soon. You know, you are here because United Soccer Coaches is extremely dedicated to high school soccer. That is a large constituent of the 30,000 members coming out of high school soccer, so large that Lee Gerald, who used to kind of run all the advocacy groups now only focuses on high school soccer. She was the wonderful woman, kind enough to push your name forward as someone I would enjoy talking to. And boy, she hit the mark on that. United Soccer Coaches, as you just mentioned, you had an All-American recently as well. I like what they do with high school soccer. How has United Soccer Coaches helped you, Stan? It's been great. I mean, from in, in one stand, like you said, yeah, Chloe Kikor, who is the current All-American, you know, we've been able to get her recognition and get both the, you know, individuals and the team. Um, but I've also, I've benefited it personally from uh, things like the journal. I've uh, been at the convention uh, a number of times. And so, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a learner, uh, it's been a great, uh, a great thing for me. And it's, and I really appreciate how, you know, and this is about both things that they send out in the journal, but then also really about the convention, 
it, it's about more than tactics. Uh, I think the more and more that I've been around both teaching and coaching realize that, yeah, there's soccer tactics and, and that's all great and important or how you teach certain things. But uh, so much about it is really about about people. Um, there's a, a coach at McAllister, um, Maddie Buckley, who had been at Bowdoin is at McAllister and we've become friends and she sent me some pictures and some stuff that she was reading the other day and some notes and it was all about leadership and motivation. And so I, I texted back and I said, what percentage of the stuff you read is about soccer versus just kind of people? And she said about 98% is about kind of leadership and motivation. I really appreciate the stuff the United Soccer has done. Um, where you can go. And it's about the, the psychology. It's about uh, learning about what motivates, about the brain and about how to be a leader and not just about, um, you know, I don't know how you press. And so I think that's been something that I've really, really appreciated. And I've, I've gotten so much from. That's so well said. Stan Williams, I want to say it again, for 10 years, he's been the head girls soccer coach at Champlain Valley Union High School in Vermont. They have 20 state championships, more than any girls program across the nation. And Stan, you look like to me, you can go another 20. So it will be pretty easy for me to tell Anson that somebody is going to just skyrocket past him as you look to go over 20 and, and, and pass his 22. Uh, you know, look, I know it's not all about winning. It's about, you know, the, forming these great bonds with these young women and creating, you know, a, a key path to their next step. But what would it mean to keep on winning more state championships? You don't look like you're going away anytime soon. <laughs> uh, that must be bad lighting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, again, that's a, that's a great cherry on top. And, and, and it certainly is, uh, is wonderful, all of the, the victories. Um, but I, I think what really makes it what makes it the most special for us is if we do it in a way that really feels really feels good about it. And I think that going back to that high school soccer question, high school soccer, soccer in general, but high school soccer has a chance to be so much more than just what happens on the on the field. And, you know, I think it's got to be about more. It's got to be about uh, connecting with the community. It's about arranging uh, preseason trips and doing things that are off the field. Uh, it's about partnering with local groups. We partner with uh, Project Hopner is a, a, a local group in one of our towns, bringing awareness to uh, teen suicide and mental health. And so, you know, I think that the victories are, are great and are nice and they get me on things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's really, uh, there's so much more. And I think if I ever start to lose track of that and start to just think about the wins, and then I probably will uh, will have to shut it down because it'll be time to hand it off to somebody else. And so uh, again, that if we can uh, do those things the, that right way and have an impact on the community and then still have some uh, some championships, then that's uh, that sounds great to me. Wow, what a great answer. Stan Williams, the head coach at Champlain Valley Union High School, known as CVU, 20 state championships. He's got seven of them, fell short in two finals, made one semifinal in the 10 years. Remind me, Vermont, do they play in the fall or the spring women's soccer? Uh, we're in the fall. You're in the fall. Okay, how's the team looking? Are you ready? We're, we're, uh, we're ready. We got a, we got a lot of uh, returners coming off an undefeated uh, team and uh, a bunch of young kids coming up to push and so uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun uh, a fun time to see how we can get this group to gel and kind of write their own chapter so yeah I'm looking forward to it we uh, we're starting up some stuff already this summer we do a program where we bring in a lot of college coaches to work with the team over the summer these college coaches who volunteer and 
we'll come up and spend some time with them. And so that's kicking off next week. And so that's when we really get uh, rolling. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll end with this. You fill in the blank. My name is Stan Williams. I'm the head coach of the Champlain Valley Union High School girls soccer team, a program that has won 20 state championships. And I love coaching high school girls soccer because... Oh, there's so many answers right there because uh, because of the memories. And I know that's I probably used that word too much, but uh, you know the, the relationships. We were at dinner last night, just so happens to be, and ran into a player that had graduated in 2001 um, and has, lives outside of the state, but just happened to be back. And uh, a hug, and then a hug with the mother and the father, and immediately started talking about stories from their JV season of 1998 and so and the things that they remembered and talked about and so I guess the timing was good for this that those are the things that are that are so cool it's uh, the wins are great but the the stories you're going to remember and talk about when you run into someone 20 years later most of them are going to be things that uh, again happen because of soccer but not necessarily on the field and so I think that's the that's the stuff that is uh that you can't, uh, you know, put any kind of price on or put anything on those uh, those memories and those relationships and connections. Uh, those are those are what makes it so special. Amen. Full stop and period. Stan Williams. Good luck as you go for state championship number 21 at Champlain Valley Union High School, known as CVU. Stan Williams. Great to get to know you. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Dean, thanks very much. It was a blast. Good times with Stan the Man. When we return, we meet another amazing member of our 30 Under 30 class, Northwestern women's soccer assistant coach, Morgan Rule. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Love this show. JP Della Camera kicking it off and we end with my favorite part of the show, meeting another member of our 30 under 30 class. You know, I wear it on my sleeve. I've been with the Big Ten Network for 17 years now. I'll start in the fall calling Big Ten women's soccer and men's soccer. That includes the Northwestern Wildcats, where one of our 30 under 30 members is now in her fourth year as an assistant coach. We're talking about the great Morgan Rule, who joins me now. Morgan, great to have you on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I can't even try to even paint over my bias having you on as (laughs) You know, I also had Coach Link on from Michigan State when she was a 30 under 30 member. So first off, I love the fact that you're at Northwestern, but let's start with what it means to be a member of the 30 under 30 class to you. Oh my goodness, what a privilege. I remember when I got the email that I'd gotten into and I was just grinning from ear to ear, just excited about people that I would be able to interact with, going to the convention, like love learning, love that environment. So the opportunity to do that, the different coursework and stuff like was just through the roof. So so thankful, so appreciative of the opportunity, but excited to keep going, excited for this opportunity. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that you said keep going because I really do feel like when I look back at the 30 under 30 members, it is a big stamp that is used as you know motion for bigger jobs down the road. Don't you feel that way? Yes, that's kind of how I heard about the program to begin with was 
some other colleagues that were in just dominant programs crushing their careers. And they're like, oh yeah, I did 30 under 30. You should apply for it. And I was like, I would love to. And then learned more about the program. And it's it's been cool to see some of their careers and how this very much so like was a launching pad for them throughout it and just the resources and, and everything that kind of come along with that opportunity. So yeah, it's phenomenal. So super, super appreciative and grateful. Morgan, I want to give you the microphone to tell us your story and don't shorten it, but tell us where you grew up, how many brothers and sisters, why you picked LSU, when you got the coaching bug and the stops before you arrived with Michael Moynihan at Northwestern. Awesome. So originally from just north of Baltimore in Maryland, bumped around with a couple of different club teams through there, worked with, um, was in Bethesda's programs, McLean's programs. So got to work with the great Clyde Watson back in the day. So it's cool seeing him on the other side recruiting now. College wise, LSU, I'm, I'm a firm believer when you get somewhere and it feels like a fit, you got to do your research as to like what boxes you kind of want checked, but got on campus, really resonated with the coaching staff, really resonated with like the culture down there and went for it, committed on my visit, which is a little crazy. But again, I'd done a lot of research to make it feel like a good fit, got there and, and it was incredible and really good four years. Playing career did not pan out how I wanted, but blessing in disguise was that it kind of led me into coaching. I struggled with injury my entire time there, was medically disqualified my junior season, and then came back as an undergrad coach my senior year. So that was kind of, I feel like initially that was like my therapeutic transition from playing into the real world. And little did I know that was not to use the term again, but kind of my launching pad into to coaching. So graduated, moved back to Maryland. Um, my coach at LSU had made his way to Loyola in Maryland. And he, so I was back in town, was like, hey, do you want to come in and volunteer and work with our goalkeepers? And I would work in summer camps, had always worked summer camps. And was like, yeah, sweet. Was a little um, disgruntled with playing career, probably indirectly put that on the sport itself more than just circumstances and refound my love for it was at Loyola that gosh was that 2016 yeah was that Loyola as a volunteer 2016 and then went on full-time that spring and have not looked back since got the opportunity at Northwestern and was like just amazed probably more importantly which is Michael our head coach here like being able to learn from him and his wealth of knowledge and we had David Nikolic was here at the time and they had this like dynamic duo that they had they hated when I said this, but they've been coaching together longer than I had been alive, um, which <laughs> sensitive subject, um, yeah, but they were incredible. Northwestern's incredible. The community up here was like something that was a huge leap of faith, but it again, felt right. Like I knew no one in Chicago. I knew nothing about Chicago, had never visited, um, but got here. And I was like, this place is incredible. This opportunity to coach like elite academic and athletic individuals and do it under a head coach that is as incredible and just constantly in the pursuit of knowledge like Michael I was like this is a no-brainer so packed up a little U-Haul hauled it on up to Chicago had some tragic living <laughs> situations had like two days to find an apartment made it happen didn't work out um <laughs> there but now in a good area in Chicago love it super happy super excited so that's kind of my journey so far into coaching and loving it you like to drop names Morgan remind us who the coach at LSU was that you followed to Loyola Kevin Dempsey, who I could go on an absolute rampage about how incredible of a human he is and a coach and just mentor. He's like your father, your uncle, your best friend, like all in one human. Like, I feel like in coaching, you pick different things that you like from people that in either life or coaching that you've kind of encountered that you want to try and exemplify. And there's so many qualities that he has that I'm like, if I can be half the coach and human that Kevin Dempsey is like pretty damn good day <laughs> is how I like to look at it. But yeah. He, 
he's incredible. And Brian Lee was our head coach there and uh, Debbie Hensley was our other assistant and Carl Goody. So really awesome crew there that thankful to have that opportunity there as well. Okay. So Brian Lee coached you all four years and, and let you come on as the assistant coach when he was there as well, before he went to Rice. Is that is that how it happened? Correct. So my senior year, I came in um, as like an undergrad coach and he just kind of, I was super thankful that he let me just stay in the environment. Again, not how my playing career ideally would have gone, but thankful that I was at least still in the team. And then I would kind of help out. Carl Goody was our goalkeeper coach at the time. So I would kind of shadow with him and help with sessions and stuff. And again, it was not really coaching. I was just kind of there helping and just still being a part of something, which again, I'm thankful that they, uh, let me do that because they didn't have to. I was very thankful for for that opportunity. I think it's pretty cool, Morgan, that you're still in purple. I have a good friend, right? <laughs> LSU fan. He's taken me to the Alabama LSU game. And, you know, I've been to games at Ohio Stadium against Michigan. But let me tell you, man, the LSU fan base, the I mean, that is it down there. Can you talk about that experience? Did you get all into that? It's electric. That was part of kind of what I wanted in my college experience. I wanted like big tradition, big environment, like wanted just to be so invested in that piece of it. And I got it. There's some crazy Cajuns down there and I'm all for it. Like it was the coolest experience, the impact and platform that you have to then use to get involved in the community, to bring soccer to that environment, which is not a very soccer heavy environment. Like everyone just loves LSU. So your ability to go talk at a school and they're like, that's a women's soccer player. When I'm like, but they don't even care. They're like, oh, it's just LSU. Oh my gosh. And everything like that was so cool. Like to have that opportunity. And yeah, they, they love it down there. They like legitimately bleed purple and gold. Like it's everywhere. So hopefully everybody's winning, keeping people happy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I really my experience with him and uh, I'm fascinated by the, the crowd and the support of LSU. Speaking of electric, the United Soccer Coaches Convention is always electric. I'm assuming you were in Philadelphia at the last convention. Can you talk about what you enjoyed the most? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, some of the classroom settings, like I remember going to one that was like coaching Gen Z. I feel like that's something that's so relevant that like we have a risk averse kind of population, especially in the college game. And like you're wanting to get hands-on feedback of like tangible things that you can implement in your environment. And some of those like classroom settings that you set in on, like they gave you actual tools to use. And like, that was amazing. The field sessions, like Jill Lloyden is the absolute queen of goalkeeping. So being able to just see that fill wet in, like I was nerding out like a crazy person, being able to just watch those environments and just, it's the whole person from a coach standpoint, the leadership stuff, the dealing with the mental health side of things, the on-field stuff, like I was having the time of my life. We had a lot of really cool responsibilities with being part of the 30 under 30 program. So I was trying to get those done and also like sneak to all the different courses. And I didn't get to go through the exhibit hall as much, but I was in all the classrooms and stuff. So that was probably way more <laughs> engaging than going to look at all the stands. But no, it was, it was awesome. Also had some incredible food while I was there. Really convenient placement that that little market is next door. I ate probably like six Philly cheesesteaks my entire time there, which a win, like just so many positives. <laughs> Sorry. Out with Morgan Rule, part of our 30 under 30 class. I got to believe that a lot of the members looked up to you as somebody that at, is at a big school at Northwestern. How fun was it to get to know most? I mean, not all 30 were able to make it, but just about all 30. It was really cool. Just like the brotherhood, sisterhood that we kind of had, like, even though we're at different like ages that we're coaching or have different resources or stuff, like it was just incredible to get to learn, like, 
how their environment is different than ours and how we can take things and kind of help streamline stuff for theirs and vice versa. Getting some, especially with some of the club coaches, ones that you're able to interact with, like for us understanding like what environment are they creating and then how does that help funnel into ours? And again, vice versa, what environment are we creating that they're trying to prepare their players for? Like it was always just really cool. And then we always, the soccer community is so small. There's, there was probably some kind of, oh, you know, so-and-so, yeah, I know so-and-so through this, that, and the other. So being able to, to engage and um, just create that community was, was awesome. And being able to do it in a space where everyone's just so fired up about why we're there and just passionate about coaching and stuff. So again, I was nerding out. I was having so much fun. <laughs> it was Speaking awesome. of nerding out, I nerd out on Northwestern. I love covering Northwestern and here's the deal. When you think about college athletics, everybody talks about football and basketball. For me, my passion has always been women's sports. My first assignment with U.S. soccer was in 89 with Anton and that team that was getting ready to go to China two years later in 91. So my first exposure was Michelle Akers, April Heinrichs, Karen Jennings, Julie Foudy, Mia Hamm. And so I always had this great appreciation. Then I look at Northwestern and I look at your soccer team. I look at Kelly Amante Hiller, who just won another one. I look at Tracy Fuchs. I mean, oh Northwestern's laser sharp focus on women's athletics must make you so proud to be a part of that. It's incredible. And I think the piece that, especially as a younger ish coach, like Tracy's next door here, Kelly's right there and their ability and like wants and just the accessibility that they have, or that we have to them is like mind blowing. So even if it's just like, how are you guys structuring your preseason meetings and what do you guys do with those oh you do like binders and that's how you do scouting reports like being able to like being a space with like just these elite coaches that have found so much success and are so humble and patient and willing to like actually work through that stuff with someone who's like still newish to it and like they're even giving me the time of day I'm like just it's incredible but they're so close and we all like collaborate so much up here which we're thankful for we have Russell Payne's next door too so he just got back working with full men's national team, like obviously a goalkeeper legend also from Maryland. So we love that. Um, our, just our ability to all collaborate has been something we're super thankful for, but yeah, they're crushing it. Everyone says Tracy's the Michael Jordan of field hockey, which I think is fantastic. And I would love to be described even something like that one day. <laughs> like cool. Say the cool. same thing about Kelly as it relates to lacrosse as well. The Michael Jordan of, of lacrosse. I mean, you're right next to both of them. That has to be fascinating. And who doesn't love to look at Russell Payne? I could look at him all day, man. He might be the most handsome man in the world. I had him on last week on the United Soccer Club. <laughs> Russell Payne is the man. I look forward to seeing what they can do this year. And then, of course, Northwestern women's soccer. I mean, you know, we used to always talk about, you know, hey, she's going to be a doctor. She's going to be a lawyer. She's going to be a CEO. But over the years, Northwestern now has produced quality players that go to the next level and play in the NWSL. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah, we're loving that right now like it's so cool to see them not only from like a development standpoint be prepared to play at that level but the fact that they still have this like love for the game that they want to keep playing is I think something that's super exciting to us and like as a coach you don't always get to see the potential tree that's developed from the roots and the plants they're the seed that you plant but I think for Michael it's it's really cool because you see what I see what he does like and rich as well, like day in and day out, like here, but to be able to see like the love and the growth that's cultivated from a soccer standpoint, tactically, technically love of the game. And then to see how that's like flourishing at the next level and still flourishing is really cool. So from a program standpoint, like even from just like a Northwestern standpoint, we have so many like like-minded people here who want excellence on and off the field in and out of the classroom. Like we have football players that are getting drafted. We have 
again, national champions and all this stuff. And like, that's just the environment here. So it's a privilege to work with these student athletes, but also just their want to get to that next level. Like we have Marissa Vigiano in with the dash. She's crushing it. Like her and uh, Sharples played against each other the other day. Sharples is coming back from an injury. We have some overseas. One of our captains last year, Reagan Sagaletter was just named captain for her team overseas too. So it's, it's so cool to see them just living out their dreams. And the fact that there's so many opportunities to do it now, is like, I'm like, I swear I have to have some eligibility left somewhere or somewhere. I just, I want to go back and play. Like, this is just so crazy. This it's awesome. It was really cool to be a part of it. Well, the North Carolina courage, I called their game last night and they just signed yeah. Nakia and yeah. Angel city for the game. It was a rare loss for North Carolina courage, but there's another one that has got the opportunity during this world cup window. Absolutely. We have uh Z wood too is in with red stars as well. So her being in that environment with, well, Rade is fantastic, but also just being in there, being able to train with Nair before she went off to the World Cup, like really cool to just hear her experiences and be able to like pick her brain about what does that environment look like? How is that different from ours? What would you take? What would you change? Like, it's really cool for, again, me as a young coach that wants to create an environment to prepare people to play at that level. Like our current goalkeeper now here, Riley, like she wants to go and play professionally. I'm like, I need to do everything in my power to make sure we're continuing to cultivate that environment for her to, to reach that. And we have others that are coming in that want to play after too. So it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. You mentioned privilege. It's a privilege to spend some time with you, particularly knowing that I'll be calling your games here in short order. If you've listened to any of my interviews with the 30 under 30, I know it's a tough question, but I like asking it because you're so young and the future is so bright, but I call it my crystal ball question. Have you imagined where you're going to be in 15 years, Morgan, what would be your goal? Oh, that's a great question. I want to be one of the best goalkeeper coaches in the country. I very much so like that position. I don't know if it's something that I have dreams to be a head coach. I I love the tactical side of the game and I love looking at that way, but I also love the problem solving and how specific you can get from the goalkeeper standpoint. And I want to be able to establish more of like what does that environment look like? What does a mental side look like? What does the tactical training and decision-making and technical side? And I want to be elite in all of those um, and be somebody that I can be elite in that and then be able to then continue to have um, a coaching tree under me in some capacity to be able to like pay it forward. Because I think especially the position is evolving at a rapid rate. It's usually just like, okay, athletic kind of figure it out. And there's like the technical side of it. But from an in-possession standpoint, I think it's evolving. and. I want to be in a place where I can figure that out to the highest degree and then pay it forward. So there's four coaches then moving forward who can then pay it forward. And we continue to just kind of evolve the position within the game. That's something I'm super passionate about. And that would be my crystal ball just to be, I don't have any, like, I want to work with our national team for sure. I absolutely want to work with our national team in some capacity. I uh, was in like the youth system and that was one of the most, like one, just one of the proudest moments ever <laughs> within my my playing career my I have a strong military background in my family and they were all able to represent the U.S. in that kind of capacity so for me to be able to do it through my sport obviously not even close to the same but the honor that was kind of felt within that if I had even the opportunity to be a coach in that environment and kind of pay that forward like that would be so exciting that would probably be maybe not 15 years but hopefully it doesn't take that long hopefully I can get my foot in the door there a little bit sooner than 15 years but um that would be phenomenal. That would kind of be my one of my highlights of my career for sure, being able to have that opportunity to create that environment for younger players. I see it happening for you for sure, Morgan. And <laughs> it happens, you've got to make tough decisions. So this is going to be a real tough one for you because 
Gosh. as you know, I've been the longtime voice of the North Carolina Courage, also with the Big Ten. So I appreciate the fact that Alyssa Nair was at Penn State, but then I called a ton of games at Rutgers for Casey Murphy. And now all she does is shut out everybody in the NWSL. So I'm holding my hand up for give Casey Murphy at least one of the games. Do you just go with experience? Or do you look at what Casey Murphy has done in form? Yeah, you 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 took the job. You you're now promoted. You're in charge. Who's yeah. your go? Oh man, that's where it's tough too with goalkeeping because like the consistency piece and kind of knowing what you're gonna get. I feel like every goalkeeper coach has kind of faced this conversation where like you have a starter, but like then you have your second string that's like crushing it and maybe slightly different. Oh my gosh, I hate this question. <laughs> Well, I also love Aubrey Kingsbury. Like, I think she's like, oh my gosh, this is tough. Can I plead the fifth? I don't know if I want to answer this one. <laughs> you can absolutely. You gotta go with Nair. Yeah, that gotta go with Nair. Oh no. Yeah. You can be Switzerland. You're fine, Morgan. We'll just call you Switzerland from now on. It's no problem. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just want everybody to succeed, you know? <laughs> Everybody loves Switzerland for sure. Morgan Rule, when you think of these three words, United Soccer Coaches, what do they mean to Morgan Rule? Community, for sure. That was one of the things I was most excited to, to engage with them was the community um, and just mentorship. Education. Again, I like cannot explain to you the level of nerdiness that I was just oozing at the convention and so forth. Just your ability to have access to that is just phenomenal um, and just excellence. I think it's something that they're, they're constantly seeking that and seeking the ability to educate and evolve and understand that there's new coaching styles and new people that we are coaching. And it's not like a, this is black and white. This is how it's supposed to be. Like their ability to be adaptive, I think is something that's really exciting. Um, so it's been cool to be a part of it. I've been a member for a little bit, but been to the convention, like I think one time before just from accessibility and, and all that stuff. So it was having the time of my life there and just again it's not just a convention there's so many other aspects to it the soccer journal and everything and your little emails that you get but it's been awesome so thankful again I don't feel like I can say that enough <laughs> two more questions with Morgan Rule on the staff with the Northwestern women's soccer team I'll be calling their games this fall on the Big Ten Network my 17th year with the Big Ten Network can't wait looking forward to it expecting big things from Northwestern can you give us an idea of your expectations for the Wildcats women's soccer team Hopefully good, right? But that's the, uh, we're returning a pretty similar team. Um, we were really proud of our team environment last year. I think that's one of those things that was the edge for us. I would like to think we played a pretty beautiful brand of soccer. So that's something that is kind of our, our DNA. So we would love to continue that. We want to win the Big Ten. Uh, we want to go past the Sweet 16. That's something we broke a lot of program records last year. Came second in the Big Ten. We want to win it for sure. Want to get past the Sweet 16, lost to UCLA out there. Kind of we're falling apart physically at that point. But we have some really exciting recruits coming in. We're returning a lot of people. So we feel like we're organized. We feel like we're confident. We feel like we're we're ready. So we're excited. They're also like, again, team environment. We have two incredible captains this year. Um, one of them was one of our captains last year. So top down, like they've been so organized. So Araya Del Carmen is coming back um, for her fifth year. Danica Austin's coming back for her fifth year. There are two captains. So we're ready to ride or die with them. They're phenomenal team people. They're phenomenal leaders. They're direct, they're accountable, but they're also soft and they know their teammates and know how to talk to people. So we're excited, all around excited. I'm just, they come back here soon for their little captain's practices. I'm like, come up to the office and bug us. Like I miss them so much. So excited for sure. Yeah, I love both those players big time. Last question, 
as you start your season, the Women's World Cup will be winding down, which I think will only create more excitement for women's soccer at all levels, no matter what level, even youth soccer as well. An incredible opportunity for women's soccer. USA can try to make history. What's got to go right for the USA to win three in a row, in your opinion? Historically, like we know what we're good at and we go in confident and we're able to execute that. And I think it's continuing to have that swagger, but also knowing that because we have a lot of younger faces, kind of carrying them along, using them for the fact that like they have youth and a new experience there, but managing that. And then also like relying on some of our, our vets out there. I know there's a couple injuries that are popping up. We're not the only country that's kind of dealing with that. So it's people stepping up in those big moments, trusting that they can do that. It should be good. I'm excited. Well, the, the game times are a little funky, but we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out, but excited to watch. It should be good. I need a couple of favors from you. I definitely want you to tell Kelly and Scott that I think they're the greatest. I we'll want do. you to tell Tracy that I think she's the greatest. I want we'll you do. to tell Russell Payne that I think he's the most handsome man in the world. <laughs> I'll say you said that. <laughs> We did to do it for me, and I want to wish you the best of luck at Northwestern Morgan. I really was looking forward to this interview. It was better than even I expected. Really enjoyed it. Good luck with the Wildcats. Go Cats, and thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you so much. I will definitely give all those well wishes out and look forward to the season, look forward to connecting with you again, and yeah, go Cats. I want to thank Morgan and all of our great guests. Also want to thank Lee Gerald, Sarah Wilbur, Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, the entire gang at United Soccer Coaches. Also want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. And most importantly, I want to thank you, all of our listeners and the great members of United Soccer Coaches. For all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.